0: This is Lekker. I'm Lucy Dearlove. Welcome to the Lekka Guide to Breakfast. Over the past few months, I've been interviewing people about their breakfast habits. Those full episodes are available for paid subscribers on Patreon, Apple Podcasts and Substack. But here I've compiled some of my favourite bits into a real buffet. I hope you're hungry. There's nothing like being slipped out of your routine by circumstance to remind you of how entrenched your habits are. I just spent almost three months, 83 days to be exact, travelling around the continent of Europe on trains. Mornings included croissants, poros, pan con tomate, galacto boreco. but... Do you know what I was looking forward to as soon as I got home? Eating, as I do every morning under usual circumstances, a bowl of Sainsbury's Nutty Muesli with Greek yogurt and a splash of milk.
1: So an at-home breakfast for me is a cereal, which is either fruit and fiber or special cake there is no deviation from that the only deviation is every now and then if they don't have the plain special k i will get the red berry
2: (laughs) but it's generally quite simple and it's something that needs to be rustled up in really five minutes just because we all want to get the day going and you know for whatever reason it would be nice just nice to cook for an hour in the morning but then i also don't want too much washing up either
3: (laughs) so right i am a breakfast person but i am like a very like chaotic breakfast person okay I like my my breakfast moods come in like big mood swings so sometimes mm-hmm. I'll have like going through a real toast phase at the moment mm-hmm. but like that will last like maybe a week two weeks and then like I won't be able to touch toast for breakfast for like the next month and then okay, it will go in okay. another phase
4: I am really not very good with breakfast except for Saturday or sometimes okay. Sunday but I'm really I like I end up eating just Whatever I have and whatever I have is horrid.
0: When I started thinking about who I wanted to ask about their breakfast habits, Bettina McAlintel immediately came to mind. I've been following her work for a while now, both her writing and her excellent, often egg-based TikToks, and one of the things I admire the most is her strong belief that anything can be breakfast.
5: I'm a very, very sort of intuitive eater. Like people are always like, how do you decide what you want to eat? And I think I'm just very much like I always just like I go to bed with a craving or I wake up with a craving. Um, And so it's really just that like, you know, this morning I was like, "Okay, I really want to eat just a bunch of kale. Um, And I hadn't done that for breakfast in a while. So I think it's, it's very much just sort of like spur of the moment. And like, you know, I think an egg is an easy thing to rely on. Um, so often that's sort of like the starting point for me. But really, breakfast is sort of like whatever is in the fridge.
0: When I spoke to Dan Hancock's and Kasia T of the podcast Cursed Objects, Kasia agreed that flouting the understood, sometimes unspoken conventions of breakfast has always been appealing to her. I feel like I've always been a rogue breakfast eater though. Great, like love When that. I was when I was at school. Because I never wanted to eat breakfast, I just never really ate breakfast. My mum would try and tempt me with like <laughs> samosas. <laughs> wow,
5: fantastic
0: <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, samosas and parcel. like also um, yeah, uh, like spring rolls that mm. she would do under the grill, and then like then I'd eat breakfast. But otherwise, I'd just be like, no, I'm not eating cornflakes.
6: There's a Colombian place near Seven Sisters Station that I've got Pinadas before on mm. the way in to work from my oh, girlfriend's yeah. house, and that is. It's a little parcel, it makes perfect yeah. sense. It's basically a transportable, a savoury Pop-Tart for the, for the... I mean, I said I've never had a Pop-Tart, so I don't know why I'm using <laughs> that as a frame of reference. But you know, I know they're an important part of, like, Anglo-American breakfast culture, or certainly were when I was a kid. I don't think we were allowed to have them. No, I think, I definitely they, I think that's not allowed why. to have them, yeah. it's like you can have some cereal.
0: And Lara Lee, author of A Splash of Soy, sang the praises of breaking breakfast rules too. Her new book includes brunch recipes for a tom yum Bloody Mary and a kimchi toasty. Growing up in Australia with an Indonesian dad, Lara did eat delicious Indonesian
2: breakfasts, just not necessarily at breakfast time. You might have mie goreng with noodles. You might even have like a beautiful soup or a, or a jackfruit stew. And so, um, mm. and, the, and always typically with rice or noodles. Um, and so you'll find that... The reason why uh these breakfasts are quite i guess carbohydrate heavy is to provide a lot of energy for the working day so that it kind of just works that way that that is such an important meal there's also bubur samsam which is like a beautiful kind of rice porridge that might be served with a a palm sugar syrup um Mm. and uh there's also uh, bubur hitam, which is with black glutinous rice, a similar principle, mm. a bit of coconut milk, going to get the palm sugar syrup, so that's quite sweet, and might be served with some, you know, jackfruit, fresh jackfruit, and maybe infused with pandan. You know, really delicious food and flavours that, you know, for, for me, would be such a main event for my dinner, because culturally, my head's in that Western space, but sure. in Indonesia, yeah, you're yeah. starting that day with that beautiful feast, and whenever my husband and I, um, travel through Indonesia, um, and I was, I was there just last July even, um, you know, you, you can order for breakfast a beautiful kind of, I guess, you know, it, it I guess it's, a almost like a tasting platter of the best of Indonesia mm. and it's all oh in on God, one amazing. plate. So you've got, yeah, you have yeah. your nasi goreng, you might have some sticky kind of tempeh, you might have a deep fried um, egg with sambal. And so it's all of those things combined and, yeah it, it makes for really delicious eating um but you know i it's kind of for me eating that way is something that i always do in indonesia but for whatever reason i revert back to the yeah. more simple breakfast at home and then i would eat an indonesian breakfast for, for dinner <laughs> in, sure. a- in australia so i think i kind of just flipped back into that That's kind funny. of mode
0: Something that came up with pretty much everyone I spoke to was relishing the opportunity for a leisurely weekend breakfast, even if weekdays pass without much breakfast fanfare at all. Gurdeep Loyal, author of the recently published cookbook Mother Tongue, invited me round for breakfast cooked from the book Coconut Crab Crumpets.
1: So this is kind of slightly South Indian-y, Malaysian-y sort of vibe okay but on crumpets because i love crumpets and obviously crumpets are very british um and that's actually one of the things that i sort of wanted to do with the book was take things that were very quintessentially british and give them my third culture remix so yeah this is kind of an a south i'm north indian punjabi but this is a kind of south indian thai kind of flavor vibe <laughs> we'll do a first round and then we'll See if we want a second round. Great. As soon as you can start to smell them, I'm gonna put this paste in. Now this is gonna hopefully
0: Gorgeous.
1: splatter. Not too much. Can you smell that?
0: That smells amazing.
1: I do enjoy going to people's houses for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And when people come here for breakfast, I make I do make a real effort. And actually, it was a big thing growing up. Like we would always have Saturdays and Sundays would be Like, of all the meals on a Saturday or Sunday at home in Leicester, breakfast would be the one where there was a rotating cycle of people. Like, whether it was an aunt or an uncle would drop by, or my grandparents would drop by, or, like, I don't know. Like, I might have... Because I spent most of my childhood at orchestra on the weekends. But, like, it would be, like, well... What did you play? Cello. Oh. Which is where a lot of the musical stuff comes from. But
0: Right, of course.
1: it would be, like, you know, like, after orchestra... Which was very early morning. It was like well, my friends from orchestra would come round, and then you know, and so for me, actually hosting a breakfast is sort of quite a sort of loyal family thing to do. And actually, when yeah. I think about images of my mum cooking, the ones that are sort of most, I'm, I'm she's very much alive, but like no, just no, thinking no. about it. But, but I like, think for
0: like you can feel is, like child about like yes, childhood, like it's a period I'm, that I'm has probably, and I'm, yeah, I
1: think. Watching my mum make bratas in the morning on a Saturday, and sometimes on a Thursday, and sometimes (laughs) on a Tuesday. I mean, now it's pretty much any day of the week, is probably one of the sort of formative food moments for me of like just this sense of this, like this sort of central figure at the stove who is simultaneously being sort of extremely. Loving and giving and, you know, kneading the dough. You're putting all her energy into this. And then, you know, flexing from there being two people in the kitchen to suddenly ten people in the kitchen because my brother's come home from football and bought three friends with him. And, you know, there's no way someone would come in the house and not be fed. Right. Because that's just not an option. It's like, well, if you're in the house, you're being fed. <laughs> so this that. sort of very strict, like, well, I'm cooking. And then, oh, suddenly there's ten people. It's sort <laughs> of like, okay, well, now I'm cooking for ten. So this sort of loving... Lovingness of I'm cooking for you, but also this sort of strict, guys, I've got 10 people to get through now. Come on, this is a good belt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For Brie
0: Graham, author of Table for Two, weekends mean one thing.
3: Saturday morning breakfast specifically, even more than like a Sunday morning breakfast, is special. Okay. Saturday morning breakfast is like, I'd say 90% of the time, it's pancakes. Have to make mm. pancakes. I'm a big pancake person. And I think I really like... a. a Big about, like, the ritual of pancakes as well. Mm. There's something so nice about the time that it takes to make them the, you know, the kind of, you know, you have to, you sort of work through the batter and, and you have to spend time flipping each one. It's not something quick. It's not like it's done and then it's over You know, if you want, if you're making them for another person, you have to make the decision. Are you going to give them straight out of the pan? Are you going to keep, make a stack and keep them all warm? It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's got a really nice ritual to it.
0: I love that. And what what do you eat on your pancakes?
3: Uh, I am citrus all the way. Mm. So, but not just lemon. Like I really love fresh oranges squeezed on pancakes Mm. or grapefruit or blood oranges and like a sprinkle of sugar that still has to be like a little bit crunchy so yeah, like
0: okay so like a, what are they like um what's like a lemon this? and
3: sugar vibe lovely but yeah like the sugar you get on top
0: of muffins kind of yes. like really granular type thing okay yeah and we're we talking we're talking american pancakes or like yeah a,
3: okay American I'm, pancakes. well i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna coin them australian pancakes okay okay right <laughs> okay then, yeah that's my bad <laughs> yeah they're, well they're not because they're like not quite like as muffiny fluffy as like an american pancake and I always use buttermilk or kefir or something like that. Mm. So it's kind of like, it is, it's closer to an American pancake than a crepe sort of situation, but not quite as dense and fluffy. Lighter.
0: Family Saturday breakfasts were a big thing for Thea Everett, creator of one of my favourite recipe substacks. What's that you're cooking, Thea?
4: Like my dad would make fry ups most Saturdays with like fried potatoes. Tinned tomato have to be tin tomato. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he is vegetarian, so he'd have sauce mix. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, which
4: I love. Just Made so into salty. Maybe like, I don't know, like
0: patties or just kind of we, like
4: He'd do them the into pat- sausages, okay, but yeah, yeah, sausages, like, okay. same sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, mushrooms, beans, um, tinned tomato. That was the vibe, really. Yeah. Um, and also, he'd have this thing... He'd make us uh, scrambled eggs and smoked salmon, but the smoked salmon would be chopped up in the egg. Mm. And then he made very little. (laughs) And me and my my brother always used to laugh about, like, he'd have a a wooden spoon and he'd, like, have maybe a pan like that of egg. And there were four of us children, right? And he'd be, like... Did you just get this? Just I mean, we to. were kids, so we probably didn't need much more, but we just always remember, like, why so little? Like a taste. Yeah, because the, egg, the eggs weren't scarce back then. Yeah, right. So it was just this thing of, like, and surely that's enough. <laughs> just this little couple of fruitfuls of egg. I think it can be hard um, to know. judge,
0: like, how much scrambled egg to make. Get less, enough, you get less think, right? yeah. yeah, you
4: always get less than you think, right? That looks
0: nothing, yeah. Like, I'd happily eat maybe, like, one or two boiled eggs and that would be fine. But, like, yeah. even two scrambled eggs, you're sometimes a bit like, oh. Yeah, like, where's it gone? Where, where's the rest of it? And Thea's continued the weekend breakfast tradition herself. When I went round to meet her, she presented me with a delicious sort of breakfast canapé selection, boiled eggs with gamasio, and Staffordshire oat cakes topped with plantain. It's just
4: a snack version of soft-boiled eggs served with gamasio. What's Gamasio, I'm glad you don't know what that is.
0: (laughs) Um, What it
4: is, is like sesame salt, Japanese sesame salt. And That's my grandma amazing. used to have it. I really? don't know why, because she's Jewish and lived in Bolton. But, sure. but it was just what we would always be served with our boiled eggs.
0: That's so
4: funny. I have no idea how she <laughs> discovered it in, like, the 80s in yeah. or whatever, But she always had it. And then my dad started, we'd, uh, he took that on. Yeah, and, uh, I love that. Great now things to have with the soft boiled eggs. I mean, because yeah. most people, we have the salt and pepper. Yeah. Why not add the sesame in? And I put black and regular ones, but... It's obviously mm. meant, meant to be hot, but... sesame sesame's so good. Yeah. It's good with the egg. So that's the mm. number one. And then number two, this, I've not finished it. I will start finishing it in a sec. Mm. But um, that's Staffordshire oatcake Cake mm. with um, plantain. Well, normally, right, I'd have like a full fry up. Right. With these two as additions.
0: Okay, so you would, like, have your bacon, your sausage, your egg. Maybe, maybe...
4: maybe not so much the meat. I think, like, sometimes okay. I'm like, let me, let me just not have too much meat. Sometimes they'd be meat, but okay. it's not an essential. Then there'd be fried tomato, fried egg, fried mushrooms, maybe baked beans. Mm. And then these two. And they're just excellent with a fryer.
0: I think a Staffordshire Oatcake is such an underrated carb to have with a fryer I'm yeah. always amazed like they haven't sort of made it more because they're
4: really right. hard to find still actually yeah. that was one thing that I managed to do in town was grab some of those where, so where did you get them I from? went to Neil's Yard because um, li- I used to work there and that was like a thing I no remember way. oh I guess because yeah. of the
0: cheese thing They go yeah with cheese.
4: exactly but oh. they don't have them every time so I was very lucky that they had them
0: do they make them no or? they
4: just get them from this brand the same brand that Sainsbury sells. oh no way I didn't yeah. even know you could get them Yep.
0: North Staffordshire oat yeah I is mean there?
4: I've actually never had a freshly made one which yeah I've is like, never had a freshly made that's one that's something yeah. I'd like to do because my ancestors are from Staffordshire apparently right. <laughs> that's great. so I want to go on a little thing there was really a good vi- vitals about it and yeah, I, like, I I'm going to go one. for a special yeah, yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. to Staffordshire <laughs> anyway I'll finish this and then make a little snackette oh my god great gorgeous
0: mm-hmm. And you've just fried the Fontaine. that looks really yeah, nice. Yeah, I don't
4: actually know if it was that ripe. I just got the ripest one the shop had, but... I mean, it looks lovely and it It'll be okay. We'll take what we get, isn't it?
0: And so is this your, like, standard... Well, not standard, but this is a breakfast that you'd make. On a Saturday? Yeah. Not everyone I spoke to feels so warmly about a fry-up, however.
6: Yeah, I've come to the realisation slowly that I kind of think the full English breakfast while obviously a good version of it is is good, broadly speaking, it's mm. a bit of a cursed thing, it's so, yeah, I think it's quite cursed,
0: It's yeah. It's
6: got a, it's, it's, you know, it's a... Because it's too much? It's a just, it's a bit much, and it is, you know, as as far as I understand from um, recent histories of the full English that I've sort of listened to and read about, mm. it's something that emerged um, from a, and I'm sure you'll correct me on this, Lucy, but, like, a need to sort of display all of the kind of rich proteins that were available to to wealthier I know
0: that. britons that, yeah, i that, think that makes sense and that yeah. sort of
6: filtered down as like look we've got bacon we've got sausage we've got black pudding i mean there's a reason my veggie girlfriend hates it it's because it's just it's it's, it's, it's meat. for meaties yeah. basically yeah um but but i think i've increasingly thought no yeah the the idea of like when hungover going and having a full English and like several cups of tea mm. does just leave you feeling a bit sick afterwards. Mm. Actually, and yeah. there's no reason. For that. I
4: only ever, I only ever really go calf if I'm
0: like hungover
6: and yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, you always end up feeling a lot worse than yeah. you went in, but which you, is amazing because you went in really bad.
5: Yeah, 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 exactly. and, you, and you
0: do sort of convince yourself that it's done you good in the long run. Yeah. Like, yeah. In the short term you're like, really feel like shit now. I remember yeah. a
6: <laughs> mate of mine from when I was sort of very into like grime and dubstep clubbing and you know, we were going out sort of to raves two or three nights a week. I remember meeting him in the pub on a Saturday night before going to Forward at Plastic People and, and how are you doing, Malcolm? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know how when you're hungover, normally you'd go and have like a fry up and a Coca-Cola or something. That's what I'd normally do. i be like, I need sugar, I need protein. or sort me out. Well, today, this morning, I was really hungover from the rave last night. And I had some fruit and lots of vegetables. And, <laughs> and guess what? I felt much better. <laughs> he was just like... The light door. Yeah, we are yeah. both like 30 years old and all to learned that lesson by that point. But I was like, dude, that makes sense.
0: Most people weren't in the habit of going out for breakfast outside of an emergency situation like Kasia and Dan described. But that doesn't mean it's not something with a big cultural significance and presence, as Bettina points out.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think the like big one for me is just sort of like the routine appearances of brunch and Sex and the City. Uh, like. Because I think that for me like Sex in the City is such a fascinating show. Like my sibling who's eight years younger than me just started watching it and and it's very top of mind because they're sort of approaching it as like someone who's like noticeably younger than me and like is is coming at it from like, you know, it's 2022 and like the first time I watched Sex in the City was probably like, you know, Late night reruns on TV when I was a kid, so it was like early 2000s, right? Yeah, so it's like a very different sort of like social lens that you're bringing to it. And so I think that, like, just thinking about how like brunch appears in it, like, so much of Sex in the City is this sense of like selling to you what, like, what being a woman in your like late 20s should have been like in New York, and like brunch. And, like, brunch felt – and, like, their brunches felt so sort of, like, important to that because it was where they sort of, like, dished about all the drama. (laughs) And, like, the food was very much not, like, the focus. It was just sort of about, like, the experience. And, like, I don't know. I think as someone who, like, moved to New York in my, like, late 20s, right, it – I don't – like, I – that was always, like, the image, right? Like, you'll move to New York and then you'll have these, like, the the sex-in-the-city style life. Yeah. Um, And, like, that's never – you know, that – And then I moved to New York and I was like, I hate going out to brunch. Like everywhere everywhere is expensive and the line is long. Like I'd rather just eat at home. Um, And so I think about that a lot just in terms of this like sort of like the disjointed nature of sort of like expectations versus reality. And like, you know, I think it is true that like when I do have brunch with like my friends and we all gossip and stuff, it is really wonderful. But it's still not like, at least for me, something that is like. A weekly occurrence as it was like for them.
0: Although the depiction of New York brunches was a cultural reset for anyone who even fleetingly watched Sex in the City, I think in the UK the options available are more heavily influenced by a different brunch culture. I didn't intend for this series to become a love letter to Australian breakfast, but anyone who's listened to the subscriber episodes will realise that it did nonetheless. Bree and Lara both mentioned the influence of Bill Granger, he of the eponymous Bills, on brunch culture, both in the UK and at home in Australia.
3: I mean, I think there's there's definitely some Australians that like to say that they, you know, we invented brunch. Um, to an extent, I think that could be true. Um, I, you know, Bill Granger is the king mm-hmm. of the Australian brunch and... A hundred percent. I mean, I grew up cooking from his books. Um, he was a big influence. My mom cooked from his books because we lived away from Sydney for a long time. And so like Sydney food, one of his first ones, I think that's the book that the ricotta hotcakes are in, which okay. is his, like famous. And yeah, they are, that, that yeah, definitely a formative recipe.
2: Mm. I I feel like in Sydney and well, Australia, I should say, Bill Granger really pioneered yes. <laughs> what the the great Australian brunch is. You know, I think he invented kind of the smashed avo on toast <laughs> kind of movement back in the day. And I think in Australia, because the lifestyle and the weather, it's very outdoorsy. So cafes will have outdoor seating. And you'd probably typically say that nine months of the year it's going to be warm enough to sit outside in a T-shirt. So when you think of, I guess, Antipodean cuisine, you um, it is, you know, it it celebrates fresh produce, uh, you know, mm. because Australia is, uh, well, obviously an island, so an an amazing seafood scene. So you might often find seafood finding its way into brunch menus as well. And and, and we're yeah. going beyond your kind of smoked salmon here. We're talking, you know. Like bagels with prawns on them, and Mm. uh, you know, beautiful kind of gin cured, uh, maybe like snapper is finding its way into your breakfast plate. So, there's like different applications, and also there's also like beautiful native Australian, um, I guess, ingredients that might be incorporated. So, the beautiful finger lime, which is like kind of like little, Mm. almost like caviar pearls of like a lime kind of juice will kind of potentially be on the plate. Um, you might get beautiful macadamia nuts or, or whatever it might be. But mm. I think there's a real celebration of Australian produce at the heart of it. And it's typically quite, I, I say that it will keep you full until dinner, but it still feels light. You could still have a surf okay. afterwards. You could still have an <laughs> active day. So if you, if you feel full, but you don't, maybe not in the same way that if I went to a greasy spoon and and had a kind of yes, uh, very British very very breakfast. Fair. You know, like I, I might have a nap after that. But you, this yes. is this is a brunch that that does not need a nap.
4: I grew up in London and I moved there when I was eighteen okay. until like twenty. Two, three, three. That's a real like formative yeah. time. So I loved it so much. And like all my friends there, I still really miss and feel mm. really close to an And the breakfasts there.
0: Yeah. So I was yeah. going to ask you about this because I yeah. had seen that I was sort of aware that you'd lived in Australia. because I bang from... on about it. Yeah. The but time. like in a nice way, <laughs> <laughs> in a way that's like it's obviously like important to you. um So yeah, talk to me about Australian breakfast Yeah. So they're just amazing.
4: But I think it has changed since okay. when I lived there. I think for young people, uh, don't seem or people my friend's marriage don't seem to go out for breakfast as much in the same way Um, I think maybe economic reasons I was going to say I think yeah, a bit it's
0: a bit cost living isn't it
4: yeah I think I and mean, I think they're just a bit like oh that's not it's not cool it's not what we do anymore <laughs>
6: <Shit>. <laughs> whereas we're just
4: getting into it I would argue but like it was I loved it at the time like I'd go every weekend when I lived there right. and I'd go with my family or with friends and just like have something like I, we, I worked as a um, dishy what do you call that? Dishwasher? Pot washer? Pot washer. Mm. Yeah. Dishy. In a is it dishy is that what, what, what they would call it, yeah. Dishy. In a breakfast cafe. My favourite oh, nice. breakfast cafe. I was going for a really hard time at the, at the time, so it was, a bit, it was a bit of a weird time in my life, but sure, yeah, I did get that, to yeah. learn a lot of cool shit like how
0: to make the best omelettes in the world. I can't quite explain to you why I was really drawn to the idea of breakfast as something to explore in this series. I think one of the things that I find really interesting about it is how private it is. It's probably the most private meal most of us eat. It's not often a meal that we share with people we don't live with. It's not often a meal that I personally post on Instagram, unless I have deviated from the norm and I'm eating something more aesthetic. Lots of us don't eat in the morning at all, which is something I can't relate to at all, as I'm an absolute nightmare if I'm eaten before I leave the house. But my muesli habit, my routine of breakfast, ingrained though it is, is one that leaves me somehow unsatisfied. I'm puzzled why my go-to breakfast has ended up being broadly sweet, even though I don't really have a sweet tooth. It's also very dairy-heavy in a way that I feel uncomfortable about. I think there's a lot of other things I would prefer to eat for breakfast. You know, eggs on toast, uh, something lovely on rice, a bowl of pho, um congee with chicken and some chilli oil. They would all be preferable, really. But I'm too lazy or too disorganised or it feels logistically impossible to make these breakfasts happen on a regular basis. I'm also kind of fascinated by... The health culture around Muesli and other oat-based breakfasts—they um, feel like something that comes from a real, like, ancient culture of grains. When, of course, that's not true. They were—I think Muesli was invented in like 1900 by a Swiss doctor. You know, it's all marketing, and I feel kind of weird about the fact that I've been so firmly sucked into it. And I found harmony in the conversations I had with other people while making this series. Other people's breakfast habits seem to clash with how they eat and cook other meals, just as mine do. Thea confessed to me that at the time of us speaking, she'd never even written a breakfast recipe. Though I am delighted to say that that is no longer the case, as she recently shared a recipe for breakfast pita on What's That You're Cooking, Thea, in my honour, no less, which I'm thrilled about. Maybe I should rethink what I have for breakfast, but also maybe I'm overthinking it. (laughs) I think I want to leave you with Bettina, whose approach to breakfast I think is the one I most want to emulate. I'm gonna let Bettina have the last word. Breakfast can be beautiful, elaborate, luxurious, but sometimes
5: they can also just be an egg so yeah on the weekend it's actually a little bit more simplified um if not a little bit more sort of like like often we'll just make sort of like rice and an egg and like put a bunch of really good sauces on it yeah i mean weirdly the like single most successful thing i ever posted on tiktok was was literally just like an egg on rice um it like literally just an egg on rice with i think like chili crisp at the end
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lacquer. And thanks very much to all my guests who took the time to talk to me about, and even in some cases, cook me breakfast. Thanks to Bree Graham, whose cookbook Table for Two is out now. Thanks to Bettina McElintel, whose work you can find on Eater and on TikTok, of course. Thanks to Gurdeep Loyal, whose book Mother Tongue is out now. Thanks to Dan Hancocks and Dr. Kasha T, who you can listen to regularly on the brilliant podcast Cursed Objects. Thanks to Thea Everett, you can subscribe to What's That You're Cooking Thea on Substack, highly recommend you do. And finally, thanks to Lara Lee, whose new book, A Splash of Soy, is out now. If you'd like to hear those longer conversations about breakfast with all of the people above, you can sign up as a paid subscriber to support Lecker on Apple Podcasts, Patreon, and also now on Substack. Links are in the show notes. And any paid subscribers who are listening here, thank you so much for your continued support. Music is by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech. I will be back in your feed with another episode very soon. Thanks for listening.